Welcome back to the Celtics Lab Podcast, your home for the deepest dives in all things Boston Celtics. I'm your host, Cameron Tempest-Dubai, joined as always by Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn. Over the weekend, the legendary Celtic and NBA champion Kevin Garnett was officially enshrined in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Likewise, it was announced that Bill Russell, Paul Pierce, and Mike Gorman will all be honored as part of the 2021 class. For that reason, we brought on a special guest this week, Mr. Sopan Deb. Sopan is the author of the memoir, Mistranslations, Meeting the Immigrant Parents Who Raised Me. He's also a comedian, producer, and journalist, and is currently a writer for the New York Times covering basketball and culture. Mr. Deb co-produced the award-winning documentary, Bill Russell, Larger Than Life, and recently wrote a piece in the Times about Kevin Garnett's leap from high school to the pros. Sopan, we are very happy to have you on the show today. Thank you for coming on, and how are you? Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a blast. Uh, it's a blast, and uh, been, I know we've been trying to do this for a couple of weeks, so I'm, I'm glad we finally be able to do this. Yeah, it was good timing, too. I mean, you're the man for the job. Talk talk about the Hall of Fame. So we're very, very happy to talk about Kevin Garnett, talk about Bill Russell, and maybe forget about what's happening to this crop of Celtics. <laughs> right. Uh, Alex, I know how things are going in Somerville because we just pooped our little hearts out. Uh, Dr. Quinn, how are things in Mexico City? Nice and quiet on the construction noise tip as a recurring theme. And, uh, yeah, pretty good. Yeah, if anyone saw just like some really high quality hoops being played in Somerville yesterday. That was indeed me and Alex. Uh, I hit a game winner. I think, I think I did. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Who assisted, who assisted on that game winner? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the only uh, other, the only other news I have is if you like the introduction music that you heard at the beginning of this podcast, that song now has a million streams on Spotify, which is pretty cool. Check it out. Divine sweater. Really? Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. That happened yesterday. Anyway. Oh, wow, Tov. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Uh, Cool. Well, we're just booking high-level talent left and right, I suppose. Anyway, Sopan, we didn't bring you on to have you listen about our pickup cues <laughs> and Alex's band. Uh, we actually are going to talk about the Celtics. Uh, and humble listeners, since we last spoke, the Celtics went ahead and locked up the seventh seed and in just a few hours are going to play Washington in the Eastern Conference playoff tourney, and their destiny will be what it will be. And the lab portion of the programming, uh, what we will do is we'll talk about the Hall of Fame at length but first, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about what's going on with these Celtics a little bit. So, gentlemen, at present, the Celtics will either face the Nets as the seventh seed if they win tonight. They'll play the Sixers as the eighth seed if they win. I believe the game would be on Thursday, the second play-in game. Or they could miss the playoffs entirely. So let's go around the horn as fans of the NBA, as fans of the Celtics, perhaps. What are your thoughts on how the season ended? And what are your hopes and dreams for what lies ahead? Sopan, start us off. Um. Well, I'm, I'm going to say that I think that focusing on the short term, I think that it's actually better if the Celtics lose tonight mm-hmm. and win and get the eighth seed to play Philly over Brooklyn. And this is like, this is like, I, I, I think that um, if they have any hope of advancing, which they really don't, but um, <laughs> they don't have a chance even to take, keep it. I, I think if they, if they play the Nets, they would lose every game by like 20 minutes. Yeah. Whereas against Philly, you know, I think they could maybe take a game. You know, I think, I think the nets are fundamentally, you know, now that the all three, all three, all, all three of the big three are back. I don't know who is beating that team in a best of seven series. And so to me, you know, if, if you want to hold on to some sort of hope that the Celtics can advance past the first round, they have a better chance against Philly than they do against the nets. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I've said on this podcast as such, I'm very inclined to agree. Uh, Alex and Justin, do you think that playing Philly is a good outcome or would missing the playoffs perhaps be 
beneficial if you were to play 3D chess here? I mean, I guess I see where people are coming from, but uh, I, I really like the draft pick. If we miss the playoffs entirely, the draft pick is ultimately probably not going to be that much better than uh, it would if we had made the playoffs. So I'm inclined to believe that the better outcome, regardless of who we play in the first round, is to survive the play-in tournament, uh, just to get some playoff experience for young dudes like Rob and Neesmith and Peyton Pritchard. I think that will ultimately be more valuable than uh, jumping two slots in the draft. Um, You know, maybe I'm wrong on that, but that's my general takeaway. As far as the actual play-in tournament goes, Sopan, well, I definitely agree. The Nets, I think, are a more threatening team overall. The reality is that the Celtics have not played Philly particularly well this year either. So the way that I'm looking at it, I kind of don't really care who they have yeah, in the first round. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not setting my expectations super high. I am viewing this as an opportunity for Jason Tatum to take on an even bigger role as the true top dog and try to learn how to navigate a situation where he's going to be facing double and triple teams on a nightly basis. I'm looking for guys like Neesmith and Pritchard to step up and deliver decent quality performances. Uh, Same with Romeo and Rob. And, you know, my expectations at this point, I I don't really have much of them. I just want to roll out the ball, see what happens. So I'm, I'm kind of easy either way. Justin, where are you at? Pretty much the same exact position. It's not exactly stellar podcasting to pretty much all have the same opinion, but there isn't <laughs> much to be to be had in ways of wins. In any series that we're going to be seeing them end up in, if they even end up in a season or excuse me, a series, and if it's the end of their season, then you know, so be it. I think at this point, we are all kind of emotionally checked out on uh, you know the rah rah stuff. So, yeah, uh, I as a I suppose Celtics fan, so long as uh, Rob Williams doesn't hurt himself playing in any of these games, I, I'm inclined to say a little bit of exposure is good. As an NBA fan, I really want to see the Wizards play the Nets in the first round. I think that would just be so fun. Uh, as we'll discuss when we talk about KG, I I love defense. I think it's one of the most fascinating parts of basketball, and that would not be on display in that series, and that's okay, I suppose. And then, yeah, I have a rational confidence thinking about playing the Sixers, but I don't know how long that would last. So, Bob, can I put you on the spot? So uh, you spent a lot of your youth in New York, and now you live in New York City. Is that correct? I actually moved to D.C. about a week ago. Believe it or not. Oh, congratulations. Congrats. We have a lot to talk about off the pod. I love D.C. Uh, well, still, I'm going to assume you have more knowledge than I. Just like 30 seconds on the Knicks owning New York and how it feels to see the Nets and the big city and all that, because you have kind of a unique perspective, both sides. Well, um, you don't have to be diplomatic it's, it's here. Tough because, <laughs> it's tough because, you know, we had the pandemic over the last year. So it's not like, you know, we were, you're going to games, right. And you're, and mm-hmm. you're not even seeing like the fan fandom in, 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 in person and, and, and whatnot. Um, I will say it's very much a Knicks city still. Yeah. And even if the, you know, I think it would take years for, for, you know, the Nets really kind of take, take more of the, the city, you know, um, 
you know, even if they win the championship this year, this is still a New York Knicks city. Um, not that I think Nets fans or the Nets as a franchise should care about quote unquote whose city is it. You know, you have one job to win to win a title. You know, and yeah. the Nets are still a very valuable franchise, so I think they're not going to spill you know you know spill tears over that. But um, you know, the Knicks are a very very dedicated franchise. Um, I think a last two years ago, so this is the short end year um, where, where the pandemic first hit. That was the first year you kind of saw cracks in the you know business side of the Knicks because um, attendance numbers started falling for the first time, like capacity yeah. numbers. And that was pre-pandemic. That was that related to the pandemic. And that, um, you know, so when you're bad for that long, it goes to show you when you're not putting out a good product, you know, even even the Knicks aren't immune to that. And yet they are still one of the most valuable franchises in the league. So um, now that they're back, you know, in theory, and, and they have a home court advantage in the first round. And, you know, I, I imagine that, you know, there's gonna be some buzz going about them going into the going into the fall of next year, and so we'll see what happens. Um, I personally am still very much a Knicks skeptic, maybe just because I'm cynical and you know whatever. Um, <laughs> I'm still very much a Knicks skeptic, and I'm not talking about this year. I'm talking about like whether they can sustain what they have, because I think a lot of what's going on in the league this year is some of it's very fluky. Like yeah. I, I think we're you know I, I think we're seeing a lot of weird things happen this year, and, and I think next season when things start to level out again. Um, you know, I wonder where the Knicks will pan out, and so, um, and so, I'm a little bit of a Knicks skeptic, but we'll 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 see. I, I'm wrong about a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, you know, Sopan, I think it's interesting that you mentioned that it's still a Knicks town in your mind, even in spite of all of the, I think, perfectly warranted Knicks skepticism. I will say, I do think that just from a fan standpoint, like the Knicks are cool, and the Nets are kind of lame. IMO. That's just me. I just like Brooklyn. Yeah. You have Kevin Durant. Yeah. You have James Harden. You have all this elite talent. I mean, I'm a big Joe Harris fan and a big Bruce Brown fan and all that stuff, but like, come on, they threw together this 2k ass roster with like Blake Griffin coming in and like having sandbag three years in Detroit and just being amazing again. I don't know. The Nets, the Nets are not interesting to me. The That's Knicks what the are. Celtics did in 08. What's the difference? Well, well, sure, but like I don't know. I think that. I mean, do you remember? It was. It was first. It was the Allen and KG. Then there was Posey, Eddie. Howe, yeah. You know Scott Pollard. You know it wasn't. Oh, were, those guys weren't all like homegrown <laughs> players. No, you know, I. After that, there was like Michael Finley, Sam Cassell. Uh, you know, Stephon Marbury, uh, Jermaine O'Neal, Shaq. You know, Sopan, I, I I am totally not above being a hypocrite and owning that as part of my uh, Celtics voice identity. What I will say, though, is that whereas you've got this Nets absurd super team that was kind of baked overnight, the Knicks are just this like weird, funky group. You've got Julius Randle taking like 30 isolation possessions a game. You've got, you know. RJ Barrett blossoming into a really good player. You've got like random ass Reggie Bullock games happening where Reggie Bullock will inexplicably drop 25 on your head. And you'll be like, how did this happen? I don't know. I, I, I just really like what's happening with the Knicks and think they're a more fun story than the Nets assembling a super team and steamrolling to the title. That's all I really wanted to throw out. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. And I think, uh, well, whatever, we could do this in the offseason. I think trading for KG and Ray Allen are different than uh, Durant telling people at the Garden he was going to New York and Kyrie Irving quitting on the Celtics. But who's to say? Yeah. Uh, besides, we shouldn't speak in generalities. Um, although, 
I think two great stereotypes still present themselves in our society. Uh, the way BMW drivers act, that's fine to stereotype those people. And Knicks fans, they're just the best. They're just the best breed of human. But the thing is, Knicks fans have this weird conundrum in which anytime they have a team that is good or good things happen to the Knicks, good things are also happening to James Dolan. And so you, the, Knicks, the Knicks fans have this weird conundrum of like, we don't like this owner, but we want our team to do well. So every time our team is doing well, this owner's doing well too. And he's pocketing more money. And it's just a, it's just a weird, um, it's a weird uh, conundrum, I think. Yeah, they should just keep letting him throw himself concerts and not do anything related to basketball. I mean, it, it's so telling. I, I asked the question, but that on a Celtics podcast, we're talking about the Knicks because the Knicks really are just like that important. Uh, but anyways, let's talk about the Celtics. So uh, just while we round out the week that was, and then we're going to hop to the lab and talk about the Hall of Fame, we want to shout out, of course, friend of the pod, Riffsman. The Tommy Point charity drive for 18 raised nearly 40 grand. Uh, Gorman showed up, Marcus Smart showed up, Robert Parrish, the Chief, showed up, among many others. And Smart had this to say about the event. It was great. Words can't even explain it. I smiled from ear to ear when I heard about it. It just shows that people care and are trying to do something good in the world when, where everything seems like it's going bad. I appreciate everybody who donated and everyone who put this together. That's all I can say. I'm very thankful. Now, other than the fact that I do a great Marcus Smart, uh, Quinn and uh, Alex, any thoughts on the Riffs man? I mean, we don't have to spend too much time on this. Shout out to the Riffs man. It was a Sorry. good salve for, that's okay. It was a good salve for the... Uh crap of a season that we have been dealing with for the last few weeks. Um, definitely. <laughs> I love for one person had a take. Well, is Riffsman any good? <laughs> is charity good? Is doing the right thing good? It's all right. I don't know. It's not one of those yeah. shows. <laughs> no, I just, I think that it was, it was a really good sell for the Celtics community in general. Uh, I think it really helped reset perspectives around the Celtics media sphere. I heard quite a few people take a different tack and how they're talking about the Celtics and considering the year that they've had, and we've rehashed this a million times, so I don't need to spend any more time on it, but considering the year that they had, we should. Yeah. Yeah. Soap honor for anyone else who missed it. The Riffs man is, we call them a super fan. Just a friend of the pod who lives in North Carolina, who, has cool things to say. And he put together uh, a charity drive for the Mark Smart uh, Young Game Changer Foundation, and it just exploded. Uh, so we're very proud of our friend, the Rips Man. Uh, just a few other kind of bookkeeping notes, and then we'll move on to the lab. Jalen is expected to be back in three months, uh, which would put him well uh, on his way to participate in kind of preseason stuff, or at least start the season. Although it's worth noting that this is the same injury that Romeo Langford uh, struggled with and it took him longer than expected to get on the court. So th- any thoughts there? I mean, it's really just reporting the news. Well, I mean, it, it was a shame to see because because one of the few bright spots of this season was what a great season Jalen had. Truly. I mean, just, just it's, you know, that's such a, uh, it's a great, he's a, um, he made such a leap this season. I mean, do, I mean, I remember, when he got picked, there was so much skepticism on the fan base. Oh, totally. And then early on in his career, you know, what, what was Jalen Brown? Is he a, you know, is he a three and D guy? You know, not many people had a ceiling being, being as high as it ended up being. Or, and even, even so, and, and, and we don't know where it will go. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just that to see, you know, and who knows whether he'll be right for training camp or not. I mean, 
none of us know, right? Like who, who knows what that's going to look like in, in, um, in three to six months, you know, but um, you know, you hope, you hope he heals fully and, 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 you know, he's probably earned a little bit of a break, you know? Um, and as far as this year's postseason run goes, I mean, you know, we can blink and it'll be over. So, <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, you just hope that he gets healthy because there, he's got, he's, he made such an incredible leap this year. Yeah. And it sounds like he played through this for a while. If they really had eyes for a long playoff run, first of all, they wouldn't have traded Tyson's skirt of the luxury tax, but also they probably would have let Jalen play through it. Uh, just on the point that skepticism abounded, my most viewed vine ever was a scene from the garden draft party where people had left in disgust because Jalen Brown was the pick and no one wanted that to be the case. Uh, so there's a timestamp free wall, um, RAP vine. Uh, and then finally in the week that was Danny Ainge, president of basketball operations for anyone who's unfamiliar, uh, sort of defended Marcus smart who, you know, does Marcus smart things on the radio recently, but he did hint that changes are to come in the off season. So before we hop into the hall of fame, does anyone have any guesses or aspirations for what those changes in the offseason might be? I have a big one. Yeah, Dr. Quinn. Someone who knows how to pass the ball. Oh, interesting. Uh, any names come to mind? Um, off the top of my head, uh, I can't really think of anyone. I haven't really put any great amount of thought into it just yet. But, you know, like someone like Devontae Graham maybe or – someone more established, um, just really anyone who's actually not a score first point guard. Yeah. So, I, you know, it, it's, it's fun to think about this stuff, except I, I don't see where the Celtics have any room to get anybody yeah. without, you know, with, you know, they're, they're the caps. They're not in a good cap situation. Um, you know, so what, who are they signing in? Who are they actually signing that can make a difference? They're going to have they're to trade. Favorite. That you're right. Their own their only way of getting someone is through a trade. Okay, but who are the tradable assets? Okay, is it Kemba Walker who really didn't you know raise his trade value this year? Yeah. Okay, is it any of the young guys? Of the young guys, who's the blue chip? You know, who could be the centerpiece of a deal? Not Aaron Neesmith. You know, no. not Romeo Langford. Um, Robert, Robert Williams, maybe. You know, there's no one. There's no one that's like, okay, this is a must. We got to get this guy. This guy can be the centerpiece of a of a, a t- young piece of talent that we have to give away. Okay. So, so then you start talking, you got, you have to have some uncomfortable conversations about Jalen, Jason and uh, smart, you know, and you're not really trading Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. You're not, you're not going to do that. But, and here's where I, I think they're, you know, uh, Marcus smart is such an amazing figure to the Boston Celtics community. You know where this is going. No, I, I'm not, I, listen, <laughs> I'm not, I, I, like I don't Boston. necessarily disagree. I like what I love watching Marcus Smart play, and and I think he he's just a great guy, and and you know, but I'm talking strictly just as a matter of the realistic of the nature of the Celtics. What are their who are their tradable assets to get a player Devontae Graham's caliber? You know, yeah, it's not that they don't have any. You know, it's this weird situation where Danny Ainge, for the first time in his career as as head of basketball operations for the Celtics. It's the first time that he's kind of in a corner, you know, the, the, the chest of draft picks are not there. Right. The, the young talent is not as of right now, good enough to go get a, um, you know, a player that can put you in a championship contender and can, you know, 
your your only options are either to sign someone that like a mid-level guy and the Celtics are not a mid-level exception away from a championship. That's oh, not no. the case. You know. So then what who, you know, what are your options? Now, you could have a Philadelphia 76er like situation where you swap out a couple role players and just to make a bet have a better fit, you know, but with right. the Sixers, there was a clear-cut issue, which is that Al Horford and Joel Embiid could not play together. Because there's in 2021's NBA, you can't have two bigs play together. Fine. But oh, that's Brad Stevens. <laughs> right, right. But for the Celtics, what is the clear cut? Like, what didn't work exactly? So, okay. And then you could plug a couple. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, if it's I okay. There, um, God. I, just, I just have to get this point up because this is a long standing argument that Cam and I have been having, Cameron and I have been having about. I don't even know where this is going. I'm so excited. No, 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 you do, though. Okay. So. I have been very critical of Danny Ainge uh, because Kyrie Irving walking out the door, understandable risk. Then the next season, Al Horford leaves. And the next season, Gordon Hayward leaves. And at some point, you have to say to yourself, when you have an unrestricted free agent that you aren't necessarily certain you can bring back, you have to consider moving them for whatever you can get. Preferably before you're in over a barrel. He's kind of over a barrel mm-hmm. now. And we kind of have- I mean, I'm sorry, you're saying that in the case of Irving and Hayward or Horford, he should have traded them in the deadline. Before they had a chance, game. before they had a chance to walk in free agency, at least after Horford. So well, you mean Horford was the most recent one? Hayward was the most Hayward. recent one. Oh hey. Oh, Hayward. So you're saying they should have traded Hayward at the deadline last year? At the very least, yes. That's where we disagree. Yeah, I mean, look, you only get so many chances to make a, t- a finals run. And Hayward was having a great season. And it's hard to give that up for, um, you know, it's hard not to cash in your chips, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that with – and look, they went to the Eastern Conference Finals. And they probably should have made the finals. You know, and and, and and frankly, if Gordon Hayward was completely healthy for that whole playoff run, they probably had probably they shot. probably do. Yeah, I, I get yeah. where you're coming from, and it's that's one of those things that's like a 2020. Yeah, I do. You, that's that's a deal you don't make. You know, I'm sorry. It's a yeah, it's a trade you make. Yeah, but I mm-hmm. I, I kind of I also think that look, you know, you look at how Toronto did with trading trading core players for uh, Kawhi, even if it's for one year. Sometimes you just have to go for it. And by not yeah. trading Hayward, you're just going for it. Um, and as far as trading Horford, again, you're in a situation where you have a very talented team with Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, you have Terry Rozier and all these players. And you're, you're in the situation where how could you not go for it? How can you not ride it out? At least mm-hmm. maybe, you know, maybe they put it together in the second half of the season, but you ha- still have one of the most talented teams in the league. You know, you still got to you guys see how it goes in the playoffs, even if the regular season doesn't go well. At that um, point, I agree. But I think. Yeah. But Hayward, I, I mean, I get it. I get the yeah. point of Hayward. There's too um, much talent hemorrhaging at, at, one, at some point. You have to. Yeah. And so are we there with smart now is my point, basically. Like, I don't want to trade smart. I want to keep smart. But. Are they going to pay him with, with Tatum's extension kicking in and all the trouble they're going to have building a team? Like, what is the change going to be is my point, really. If it isn't, so, it would be smart. So this is where um, the most interesting domino for the Celtics offseason comes in. The Celtics offseason is going to be determined primarily by the following choice, which they are going to have to make. Are you going to re-sign Evan Fournier? 
Because if you do re-sign Evan Fournier and if you re-sign him at the market value that he's probably going to get, he's a reasonably good uh, two guard who can create and shoot. He's going to fetch. He's not going to fetch a crazy price, but he's going to fetch a reasonable price. Mm -hmm. So if you do re-sign Evan Fournier, either to sign him to your roster or in a sign-in trade, that opens the door for the Celtics to make some moves that could potentially increase their flexibility and address some of their team needs. But that means you're going to have to, in effect, treat Fournier as a restricted, pseudo-restricted free agent and basically match any offer that comes to him and hope that he takes it in Boston. That's going to be a challenge for this team, especially if the Celtics are trying to skirt the luxury tax. Now... Maybe if you do keep Evan, depending on how that goes, say you are able to re-sign him. If you can do a sign and trade with Evan Fournier, Tristan Thompson, a young player and a draft pick, that can actually get you somewhere. That's a reasonable offer that teams will take. But that's why I agree. But like, what is that package fetching? I don't know that it's going to like, is that package getting you something that's significantly better than Evan Fournier? And I don't know. I don't know that that is. You're right. You're right. And you're, and you are absolutely thinking in the right direction in terms of how you get flexibility. But this is the problem with the roster construction. It's that I don't know who that's, if I'm an opposing GM, I'm not excited to, I'm not excited for that package. You know? That's, that's true. probably the best package that the Celtics have to offer short of including smart Tatum or Brown. So that all of that is true, but I think it, you know, with trade negotiations, it's all about just what does the other team want more than anything? So can you find a suitor for that package? I don't know. But what I do know is that how the Fournier situation plays out is going to be a huge factor in determining what the Celtics' ultimate offseason plan is, whether it means they're going to have to trade smart, whether it means they're going to have the flexibility to keep him or not. Like that's, that's the domino that needs to be sorted out before we can really get into the weeds of this conversation, I think. Yeah. And it yeah. doesn't help. And the other thing that doesn't help to any age is that it's a very weak, it's a very weak comparatively weak free agent class. It's, it's very not weak. like... There aren't a lot of great options for him to just add help without giving up one of the core pieces. Well, actually, I think he gets cover there because the 2022 free agency class is so big. I could see the Lakers dismantled. I could see the Nets dismantled. Um, by then, we'll know if this Bucks core works. By then, we'll know if the Sixer core works. If anything, I think Ainge could sell a bit of a punt to say, you know, this summer, to your point, Sopan, it's not really – there's not really much to look at. There's not really a meaningful big trade out there, but the balance of power likely will shift the following season. What that looks like, we don't know. Uh, so I could see Ainge playing. It's scary because even though Brown and Tatum are under contract until 2024 or whatever it is, risking a year in the NBA is always uh, scary business, but I could see that being the play even if that does also include losing Marcus Smart, trying right. to trade Kemba Walker or something like it that. It might not be a play. It might be all he can do. Yeah. True. I say, I mean, if they run it back, this is still a pretty good team. And let's not forget that this is the COVID team, the team with all the bad injury luck, the team that perhaps is a little more focused on things bigger than basketball. So I don't know. If they ran it back fully healthy, I think 
we're looking at, I don't know, the four or five seed, maybe with a little bit of luck, the three or the three seed. And then who knows what the state of the conversation is. Uh, so, Sopan, I, I guess we're bringing you back for the off season because we you got takes. Yeah. <laughs> sure. I like them. Well, it's like it's like it's like eight months of like like of like just watching watching this team with like simmering simmering frustration. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I've been waiting to get this off my chest. At least you're not alone alone in that because it sounds like literally every Celtics fan I know. Uh, but that's a good enough segue as any to talk about the glory days because. It sounds like no one here is convinced that the Celtics are going to win the 2021 title. I think we've established that. I don't think we think they're going to win next year's title, but we do know that they won a title in 2008 and they did that behind uh, Mr. Kevin Garnett. And I've just been thinking about this all day. It's not a great uh, moment for this, but before I forget, can you think of a nickname that is so unbecoming of what like a player and person and personality Kevin Garnett is for big ticket. It sounds like something they would come up with in like the thirties for a baseball player. Like it's such a boring nickname. I forget where the nickname came from. I, I remember hearing this story and I totally forget where the nickname. Oh, it, it was um, Harlan. I think Harlan called it Kenny Harlan. I think it yeah. was, he was a, um, uh, anyway, it, it doesn't matter. No, uh, no, no. I, I think you're right about that. And in the moment it's cute yeah. enough, but I went through and was watching old, Garnett. Where I remember in the 08 run, I remember Big Baby, Glenn Davis, like he wanted to not be called Big Baby anymore. He nicknamed himself um, Ticket Stub. He's like, I'd like to be called Ticket Stub. <laughs> and then we're like, no, thank you. <laughs> Your name's not going to be that. Man, Big Baby is the, well, we're going to talk all about the, those Celtics and I'm sure Big Baby will come up because we can talk about Big Baby without talking about Kevin Garnett. Uh, but so far, we brought you on because you recently wrote about Garnett, uh, specifically how he kind of came into the league, uh, much to the chagrin, I suppose, of some folks uh, around the basketball sphere. So just for anyone who, I don't know, has been under a rock, and this is the first thing they've done since emerging from that rock, listen to this podcast. Kevin Garnett uh, went into the Hall of Fame over the weekend, joining Kobe Bryant and Tim Duncan, among a few other folk. Uh, And we will talk about kind of what that career looks like, but so fun, just because I think, you know, Kevin Garnett was always on my radar as a basketball fan, but it's not until he shows up in Boston that it really makes a big difference in my life, so to speak. Um, so can you talk us a little bit through uh, this article that you wrote for the Times and some of the stuff that you learned about yeah. Garnett, the teenager, Garnett, the, the young bro? Well, when Garnett entered the league in the mid-90s, you know, there's a lot of skepticism about Kevin Garnett. 95, right? Yeah, 95. Um, he uh, was you know, coming straight out of high school, he would be the first high school uh, player since I want to say it was either Moses Malone or uh, Brad Willoughby. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there've been Sean Kemp um, went to like, I think a year of junior college. He signed up for college, college and he arrived on campus, but didn't play for that year and then went to the NBA. Sure. There, were a couple, there were a couple other, you know, but Kevin Garnett was definitely straight from the high school to college. And, you know, if you think about what his legacy is, is that, he was, there were a lot of people very skeptical that this could work. And instead, you know, he went and it worked and he set yeah. this impossibly high bar for other high schoolers to reach that only a handful of players actually did, you know, Kobe, LeBron, uh, McGrady, 
um, you know, and to a lesser extent, uh, players like, uh, I'm trying to think of who the other, you know, I think Jermaine O'Neal was straight from high school. Um, Kendrick Perkins. Kendrick Perkins. But there were a lot of players, you know, like uh, Sebastian Telfair, you know, Kwame Brown, who didn't live up to kind of Portland, the, the expectations set for them. And there were a lot of questions about, okay, can you ask a teenager to shoulder this burden? Not just physically, but also kind of emotionally, the rigors of an NBA lifestyle, um, you know, the, the money, you know, can, you know, um, is that healthy? And, and, taking, and, and is taking kids out of the educational system, is that healthy? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to this day, that's still a debate. But Garnett kind of blew that out of the water and he influenced this generation to be like, oh, if Kevin can do it, well, so can I. Look at what KJ right. is doing. And, um, so if you think about the player empowerment era, Kevin Garnett was very much at the forefront of that. You know, So in some ways, if you think about it, the player movement that we see now, you know, in some very small way, Kevin Garnett was at the front of that. Yeah, I believe he was 1995 Mr. Basketball in America. I mean, he was a really high-profile player. And um, a bunch of folks, Mike Wilbon, who happened to go into the hall this weekend as well, was skeptical that he could make the leap, let alone uh, that it was a good thing for Garnett or for kind of uh, young black Americans. And obviously it worked out fine for Garnett, although he didn't win rookie of the year. Uh, Damon Stoudemire did, which I would not have known if I didn't. You know what? I did not know that. I just just Googled think. I don't know if in the first, um, um, I don't know if in his first year, if he started, if he was a full-time starter, I don't think he was. No, I don't think so either. I mean, not, by 98, he's an all-star. But, yeah, I don't think he was out of the gate. Just incredible. Uh, but definitely impactful. I mean, he was always an incredibly skinny, like almost preposterously skinny person. But as a kid, some of the proportions, especially with the baggy jerseys, are just incredible. Uh, so Garnett obviously makes it into the league. Uh there's a story about how he sneaks into Bulls practice. Can you tell us about that? I can give you some background on that. I think it was uh, the guy who worked with him, Rice, on his uh, recent autobiography, who wrote that for the undefeated. Basically, he snuck into where the Bulls are practicing, and some security guard noticed him or knew that he was there. He, he still doesn't know to this day whether it was like set up so he could play Pippen or whether it was just a random, like, Hey, you, they want to play or whatever. He doesn't actually know. um, He got him to come down and actually play with him um, and he held his own. And that was one of the things that that helped convince him that it was going to work out to make the leap. I love that. There's a a famous story of, well, obviously the uh, Barcelona Olympics pickup games are like enshrined in uh, basketball lore, but apparently the set of Space Jam had some just crazy cool pickup games. And I, I, I th- people have kind of spoken up about that a little bit, but I would love to hear the tell all about what that looked like. I think there's a story of um, like a sound producer, like some PA or something who had no business playing, playing and just trash talking, trash talking Jordan. And which was obviously not the move. And Jordan just gives him the business the whole time. And I would really like to read that book or like, a short documentary on that because somewhere that that's just like a guy in the world. I hope he's doing okay. Uh, so while passing Garnett, around, sorry, while, while passing around young Garnett stories, I did hear, I was listening to uh, the low post um, 
one of the latest episodes with uh, where they talked about kind of the the inaugural Hall of Fame class, or sorry, not the inaugural, the Hall of Fame class with um, Duncan, Garnett, etc. And uh, one of the things that they mentioned that I found fascinating was that at one point, the Timberwolves were actually, they were so concerned to Sopan's point earlier about uh, Garnett and his ability to adjust to the league and the lifestyle that they were actually considering keeping him home for road games that they were basic. They they basically, and this didn't happen of course, but they were thinking about um, this, like in order to prevent Garnett from experiencing NBA road game life to the fullest for all of the uh, things that that could entail, which are quite a lot of things. Um, They basically wanted to keep Garnett at home and have him, I think both work on his game and basically uh, study and uh, potentially like do like night classes on days when he was like at home. And uh, it it was a fascinating story. And I think it just speaks to this idea that, you know, there were a lot of people when, you know, this supernaturally talented freak who, you know, if you, if you watched him play, it's like, yeah, this dude's going to make it in the NBA. He's better than half of the dudes there already. But there were a lot of people who, because of the age and because of high school, were really concerned about this guy and uh, really didn't uh, know exactly how to handle that. And I think also a, a part of the conversation, and, and then we'll get back to Garnett the Pro, about are these kids ready? And I mean, the one and done era, it's not like one year of bullshitting your way through Kentucky is, is like a real experience. But um, and that like crazy documentary Muse that Kobe did a few years ago, he talks about how he used to drive up and down the UCLA campus because he just wanted to pretend like he was a, a college student. Uh, so for the 19, 20, 21 year olds in the NBA, I mean, just like the psychology of being a professional adult, being a brand, being a millionaire, all that stuff is just, I mean, I can tell you firsthand as a AP psych teacher that your brain doesn't emotionally finish developing until your mid twenties. So a lot of the things that we're asking these young kids to do, the fact that they can do them as well as they do is preposterous. Anyways, another off season podcast. Uh, let's get back to Garnett who, uh, as we all know, had a pretty good career up in Minnesota. I mean, he just punished the basketball nightly. He wins gold at the 2000 Olympics. He becomes the 2004 MVP nearly won it again in 2010. He becomes the 2008, uh, defensive player of the year. He is a 15-time All-Star, a four-time NBA All-NBA First Team uh, recipient, nine All-NBA teams overall, 12 All-NBA defensive teams, and he led the league in rebounding for four straight seasons between 2004 and 2007. Uh, We lost Sopan. He had to take a call. Perhaps he'll join us. Perhaps he won't. That's okay. He regaled us with his tales already. But you two, I asked you off-air to identify. So Garnett is one of five players who have won an NBA MVP and an NBA Defensive Player of the Year. Garnett is one of five. Can you name the four other ones? Alex, you said you had a pretty good guess. I think I know at least three of them, and I'm going to try for them now. So correct me if I'm wrong, Cam, but Giannis is one of the people who has done this. Um, Michael Jordan. Yep, yep. Shaquille O'Neal? Incorrect. Interesting. Which is surprising to me, too. I, that was yeah. one of my guesses. Um, you had, like, a, a fourth-ish guess? The other one that I was going to guess was Kareem. I'm pretty sure that Tim Duncan has not won a Defensive Player of the Year, which is crazy to me. 
Bye. Yeah, no, neither of those are correct, but good guesses. Dr. Quinn? So I came up with two. Alex mentioned one of them. Giannis was one. Kawhi is the other I thought of. And I wanted to say Bill Russell, but he his entire career predated the award because it started yeah, early. I was going to say. Now it is David Robinson, the Admiral. It is MJ, Hakeem, and Giannis. Hakeem. Yeah, I, I forgot whether Hakeem had won an MVP or not, but I guess so. Yeah, and uh, Kevin Garnett runs out that list. Kevin Garnett also played from 1995 to 2016, which I just think is, I mean, I think LeBron will play until he's like 45, and so it's not unheard of to play for two decades, but that's just such a preposterous amount of time to be playing basketball. Yeah, and, you know, like, Kevin Garnett in his last year when he did that kind of, like, reprise with the Timberwolves, I mean, he, like, dunked on Blake Griffin. It's not like he was, like, yeah. done. He definitely, like, was a different player at that point in his career, really. From the Nets onward, he was not the same guy. But he was still, like, a pretty high-quality NBA bench-slash-starter guy. You know, he, he was solid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he also, I mean, he is such a – just like energetic player. It's one thing if you're a Curry and I mean, I don't want to take away what Steph does, but he, he just like hammered the ball for 20 years. It's just insanity. Uh, anyways, uh, do we have any favorite KG memories while we're just kind of basking in his glory? I mean, he did just join the hall of fame. Yeah. Alex go. So um, this is a story that I read a while back, which I think just perfectly encapsulates Kevin Garnett. I think I might've even mentioned this on a previous episode, but I'm going to tell it anyway. So apparently, so Kevin Garnett, the thing that we think about as, especially as Celtics fans is that Kevin Garnett came into the Celtics organization and he kind of brought back this idea of Celtic pride that, uh, you know, you had to be, in order to play for the Celtics, you had to be this like maniacally dedicated person who would dive on the floor for loose balls and fight for every possession and absolutely leave everything that you possibly could out on the floor. And KG was perfect for that. KG tried harder than I've ever seen anybody basically every game, which was wild. I mean, I think Marcus Smart is kind of the avatar of that now, but even on his best days, Marcus is just not on the level that KG was for this. Um, And I think that KG didn't just approach basketball this way. He also approaches life this way, uh, just like everything that he does. And this uh, story, I think, kind of hints at that. So Kevin Garnett um, is, by all accounts, despite his fearsome demeanor on the court, a very like quiet and private dude out in public because he's Kevin Garnett. I'm sure that he probably hates being, you know, like talked to, talk to all the time on the streets. Like you're obviously Kevin Garnett. But one of the things that is true about Kevin Garnett is that whenever there is a competitive anything, Kevin Garnett will get crazy about that thing. So uh, the story that comes to mind is that Kevin Garnett was reportedly watching uh, a very short-lived reality game show called Making the Band, which is where you take a bunch of amateur musicians and they do like a single song. They play it live for a, a panelist of judges, American Idol style. And the winners of this competition get a record deal with some fancy recording studio. 
Uh, and Kevin Garnett was watching this show and got really into it. He was incredibly dedicated to watching it and reportedly like really got it super enthusiastic about this one band in particular that like went to the finals of the show. And Kevin Garnett, uh, you know, the thing, this pregame ritual that he did for the Celtics is he would uh, like bump his head against the stanchion <laughs> as a way to, sign, to hype himself up. And in the finale of this show, making the band, I don't know what season it was, but in the finale of the show, the band that KG was following that he cared about won. And KG was so hype that he bashed <laughs> his head through a wall. That's a, that's a thing that he did. And I think that just approaches, like that just captures everything that I love about Kevin Garnett, that he was just an absolute maniac who whenever any sort of competitive thing happened, whenever that opportunity presented itself, he would go all the way and then beyond whatever all the way was to get involved with that thing. Even if it means bashing your head through plaster when your favorite band of a reality game show wins the competition. Incredible stuff. Yeah, Marcus Smart, if you're listening, don't. Don't follow in those footsteps. We've had enough <laughs> of you putting your hands and head through stuff. Uh, my favorite, I have a basketball memory about KG, and then so far I'll swing to you, but my favorite KG memory is uh, the Honey Nut Cheerios incident with, uh, with M- Mello, and that's all I'll say about that. Uh, Sopan, welcome back. What's your favorite KG memory? Sorry about that. Um, I actually, this is going to be really, this is a weird one. Um, okay, so it's his first night as a Celtic. So that, it's, a, it's a home opener against the Wizards. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's a play where I think Garnett gets a rebound and he kind of wraps around as a no look under the basket pass, which I think baby. Was, it's a big baby, right? It, I think it was either a big baby or a perk. I can't remember exactly yeah. who it was. And I just remember I was a freshman in college. So when you're a freshman in college, sports is still like, you know, larger than life. It's religion. Like, yeah. It's still religion. And I remember like, I had never, the Celtics had not had anyone that could do something like that in years. Right. And it was just so cool to see like that kind of play. And, and, and for me, what I loved about KG and every, you know, obviously everyone can talk about the competitiveness and, you know, whatever. he was such an amazing passer, yeah. an incredible passer. If he played today, you know, Kevin Garner, I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't have the best reference up. I, I think he probably topped out at five or six assists, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. if he played today, I think he would average a triple double because of the way that the league, you know, the league is structured and blah, blah, blah. Um, so all, all that is to say, I, I think that um, uh, KG is, uh, you know, his passing is one of the more, more underrated things about him. Cause when you think KG, you think about the dream shake, you're thinking about, you know, you're thinking about the mid range jumpers, you know, whatever, but like, he was an amazing passer. He was one of the best passers for his size in the league. And I don't think he gets enough appreciation for that. Oh, not at all. JQ, do you have a favorite uh, Garnett memory? Man, mine is so much more boring than, than all of y'all's. Um, <laughs> it's it's just his fascination with Gino time. He, he loved Gino. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I was going to say how much he loved Rondo, but yeah, that's so good. Uh, Didn't mention him in the speech. Yeah, that was weird. I, I was like, maybe they had a fall. We're going to shout out Brooke Lopez and Joe Johnson, but not Rondo? It was a pretty long speech. It wasn't like he was, it was the Gettysburg address. He had time. I don't know. I thought they had that like historic mytholo- uh, uh, mythological text thread with them and Doc, but maybe not. So, to your point, I, I looked this up earlier. 
There was a season, so in I think it was 2001, 2002, Garnett averaged, or took rather, 112 three-pointers. I remember thinking, like, man, just step, just take a step back. It's worth so much more. <laughs> and he never did. He always shot, like, the longest possible two-pointer. So I figured, I don't know, he was allergic to threes. And then tail end of his career, he only took, like, a dozen or so a season. But, but there were a few the, years. That was the game when he played. Yeah. Back then, like, when Kevin Love first entered the league, you know, yeah. his first coach has told him, no, you don't stop taking threes. Stop taking threes. You're a post player. So mm-hmm. even what Garnett was doing, remember the knock on Garnett in his prime before he got to the Celtics was that he spent too much time shooting jumpers. Yeah. That, would, that would never happen today. It's, a, it's, an absurd thing. It's, an, it's an absurd thing to think about. But, but when Kevin Garnett was, you know, MVP Kevin Garnett, the knock against him was he, that he took too many jumpers. That would, imagine that being said about someone today. Especially the way the game was officiated back then it was so much harder to not take you the paint yeah yeah no it's it's i mean i am i have nothing but thanks for kevin garnett as a, a celtics fan but i would love to see him play in the modern era uh, i think he would be just like spectacular to a point and just to round out a few key memories i mean the 2008 game four comeback against the lakers where uh, i think they allowed 33 points in the second half of that game just as a metric of uh, Garnett's, just like, I mean, the whole Celtics team was insane on defense. The Knicks right now in the regular season, and this season sucks, so it doesn't count, but uh, the Knicks have the best defense, allowing 104.7 opponent points. It's the best defense in the league right now. And 2007-8, the Celtics allowed 90 points per game, which is boring if you're trying to like sell basketball to teenagers, but if you love the game... It was so fun to watch. Uh, so obviously we all love KG. Uh, KG, come on the pod anytime. Uh, post-playing career, Garnett stayed busy. Uh, I guess he hosted this music reality show that I've never heard of. No, uh, he, he didn't. He didn't host it. He just watched it very intensely. <laughs> even better. He was on Area 51 for a little bit. I don't think that that was his jam, uh, but it's hard to make that that pivot. Uh, he has worked with players. He's kind of been something of an unofficial uh, consultant, I suppose. And then Uncut Gems, he can act. Who knew? I mean, he takes everything seriously. I mean, I think acting is one of those things that I think looks way more difficult than it actually... Sorry, let me rephrase that. It, it's way more difficult than it actually looks. I was yeah, about to say yeah. the opposite, which I did not want to say. Um, and, you know, you got to hit marks. You got to, you know, got to pay attention to blocking and you got to do the same take like 12 times. And you got to, you got to be, you, you know, you got to nail your lines and, and, and you got to really um, be on your game a hundred percent of the time. Um, you can't, you can't loaf it for any takes. Yeah. And, and yeah. you're great. Uncut Gems is an awesome movie, by the way, if anybody hasn't seen it. Like, it, KG is incredible in it, but it's also just, like, a really good movie. Just had to throw that out there. I believe the directors are Knicks fans as well. Yeah, I, that's actually right. The Safdie brothers are uh, very, very serious Knicks fans. In fact, I think one of the reasons that they cast KG in the role is, in fact, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that they very specifically wrote this movie with the plan to cast KG as a modified version of himself. <laughs> I don't, uh, so I think the, it was originally written for Joel Embiid. Oh, interesting. Whoa, love wow. that. Uh, and then Embiid couldn't do it because of schedule, and I think they rewrote yeah. it to uh-huh. as a KJ. Wow. Well, while we're uh, giving out 
recommendations. If you haven't seen the recent footage of Adam Sandler playing hoops, I think in Long Island, he might as oh, well yeah. be wearing a dress. Like the shorts are just so ridiculous. Guys, Adam can hoop. He's a genuinely good pickup basketball yeah. player. <laughs> he's like, yeah. and I like what I like about him is that he's like, he's not like one of those guys who's isolating the whole time. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's, he's, he's setting screens. The ball. He's setting screens. That's a dream pickup teammate. Yeah. Yeah. I would, uh, I love Adam Sandler. I would love to play hoops with Adam Sandler. I would embarrass myself silly, but it'd be fun. Uh, just let's round it out with the Hall of Fame stuff. Uh, it was over the weekend for anyone who missed it. Any So KG, uh, Kobe Bryant, and Tim Duncan kind of headlined the class. And we can kind of talk about KG's speech. We can talk about his relationship to Kobe. Uh, and then we'll talk about uh, next year's class and possible Jersey retirements. But any thoughts on the Hall of Fame production, the speeches, anything uh, that we haven't hit on? Not really. Um, you know, it was nice. I mean, I, 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 I was, I always get a kick out of the speeches, mm-hmm. you know, um, but one that surprised me the most was Tim Duncan. He looked way more nervous than I'd ever seen him. Yeah. And he kind of acknowledged that he acknowledged that at the top of his speech. And it was, it was, you know, I just had never seen him that kind of animated and that was cool, you know, just to see him get kind of this more human side of him. And uh, that was cool to see. Tim Duncan looks like a completely different person now with the dreads. Like he's, he's really a very <laughs> he different. He looks looking. taller, which is a yeah. weird thing to say. <laughs> yeah. If, if Kobe had been there, I mean, uh, I, this just would have been such a, an incredible weekend. It still was, but uh, it's really, what was it? The Bill Russell speech where he flips everyone off. Is that his hall of fame speech? Yeah. Or is that something else? Yeah. I don't think we have any iconic moments from this, uh, uh, events, but it was really, it was really great to kind of, I mean, this conversation has been great too, to really think about Kevin Garnett, think about Tim Duncan. I mean, I would love to, to hop on Spurs lab and talk about Tim Duncan for an hour because I love Tim Duncan. Uh, but we might get to do this uh, same kind of thing next year because the NBA announced the 2021 hall of fame class. This was the delayed 2020 class because of COVID and there's some familiar faces in that class. Paul Pierce uh, has been nominated. Nominated or is in for good? Pierce is in. Yeah. Pierce is in. The truth, baby. The, the MF in truth. Uh, Bill Russell as a coach, which feels like that should have happened a while ago. Uh, and not to embarrass you, Sopan, but your documentary on Bill Russell from a few years ago, Larger Than Life, kind of talks about him uh, and his the statue that was built around him and kind of... Uh, resting on his laurels a little too late. I mean, I, I can't imagine. I, w- I was shocked to learn that he was not already in the, the hall as a coach. He was the first black coach. That feels pretty important. I can't imagine that they're finally getting around to it now, but better late than never. And uh, Mike Gorman, uh, who we love, of course, will be nominated uh, with the Kurt, or will win rather the Kurt Gowdy award and will go into the hall as a broadcaster, which is just fantastic. So Justin has written here, if we want, we can do this. I have a few, so maybe I can start while people think. What is a lesson that this group of Celtics can learn from Paul Pierce, from Kevin Garnett, and from Bill Russell, or from Mike Gorman, for that matter? Uh, and then we'll, we'll kind of wrap up from there. So I'll go first so people can kind of collect their thoughts. Um, so from Pierce, I would love to see Jalen kind of do that slow man game. He dribbles a little too much sometimes. I think he gets his blinders up. I think the game's still a little fast for him. 
Uh, he loves to call his own number, uh, unfortunately. And I think if he could kind of get into that Paul Pierce slow rhythm, that would be really cool. Uh, KG, we, I mean, we talked about the intensity, the defense. I would love to see the Celtics go back to being uh, a defensive juggernaut. I would love to to really have that be a core part of their identity moving forward. And then, and this is so obvious, so I'm sorry to steal this one right away, but Bill Russell's life is so much more than basketball. The basketball was great, but the activism, the community uh, leadership, and everything else that Bill Russell stands for, I suspect a lot of these Celtics have eyes on that. So um, sorry to say the obvious, but I hope that the current crop of Celtics continue to aspire to be everything that Bill Russell is. So anyways, uh, anyone, I'll let, anyone can hop in first. If you had to take something from future or current Hall of Famers, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, or Bill Russell, and give that to the Celtics, what would you give them? I, I can jump in. Uh, for Pierce, I think the lesson is to be comfortable in your own skin. Paul Pierce, oh, nice. to, kind of, to kind of get at what you were saying, Cam, Paul Pierce was always playing at Paul Pierce's pace. He never tried to push things more than he needed to. He never tried to change his game radically to fit, um, you know, whatever people kind of wanted Paul Pierce to be, whatever shortcomings he may have had. Paul Pierce played Paul Pierce basketball, and I think – uh, being comfortable in his own skin and being true to who he was as a player really helped him a lot in his career. Um, for Garnett, I think um, you mentioned the of uh, the intensity, you mentioned the defense, <clears throat> but the one thing that I guess I would say is a worthwhile lesson to impart from KG for the Celtics is sometimes you need a little bit of crazy to go all the way. This Celtics team from this year uh, was it was a slog of a season and our lead crazy guy in Marcus Smart missed a huge chunk of it. But uh, I think for next year, a lesson that the Celtics can take away from Garnett is sometimes you just need to be kind of a lunatic and like do strange upsetting things and like scream at people and uh, just be a kind of maniac. And it it works. And, you know, a lot of people criticize KG at the time for being, for puffing out his chest and kind of acting the part more than he actually lived it, but whatever he did, it worked. And I think the Celtics can certainly take away from that. And for Russell, I think the big thing is that Bill Russell, the, the, the words used to describe Bill Russell more than anything is that he was the ultimate teammate. He never cared about his own stats. He never cared about individual accolades. His whole thing was team first every time, all the time. And I think that the Celtics team, while obviously I think it's not nearly as overblown as some of the dipshits over at WEI would like us to believe, uh, I do think that the Celtics team does have some moments where maybe by out of a kind of misplaced sense of a a need to help them win. Uh, Dudes get a little bit solo heavy, a little bit ISO heavy, and they kind of, they, they put a big burden on themselves to be, to put on the cape, to be the hero. With Bill Russell, he knew that his guys were going to try hard every night, even if they weren't perfect. He knew that he could trust every single player on that roster to deliver when the time came. And I think the Celtics just need to work a little bit more 
on imparting the lessons of Bill to trust your teammates above all else and the rest will follow. Nice. I like those a, a lot. Uh, yeah. Dr. Gwen. I followed this exercise and I've just got totally one up. <laughs> um, mine are really simple and just that in, in terms of Pierce, the obvious lesson is you shouldn't be a whole, afraid to hold the feet of the front office to the fire when you need help. Oh, cool. Uh, in terms of KG, uh, don't expect your star player to be there forever to the front office. Okay. And in terms of Russell, uh, it's not necessarily always about dominating the game. Uh, or It's like he had a big thing in terms of defense. Like you don't need to block every shot. You just need to think that you're going to block every shot. The psychological mm-hmm. aspect of the game is something – that because they're a younger team, I don't think they've really developed very much yet, but it's something that I think that they can really work on because they have such prodigious talents in terms of the Jays and to a certain extent, Marcus Smart. I mean, with those three in particular, I think that there's a lot of potential psychological warfare that can be had that they don't use to their advantage as much as they could. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up. That was uh, a really good one. Unfortunately, you know the story, I, I forget who broke it, that... Uh, two seasons ago, maybe Jalen lamented to Danny Ainge that he really thought that team was as good as the 86 Celtics. Uh, while we're talking about Bill Russell, I really hope that this very young, the sixth youngest team in the NBA continues to learn more about the game because uh, that was a little naive. And uh, I think exploring more about Bill Russell can help put kind of NBA history in context. Uh Speaking of which, unfortunately, Sopan uh, had to jump off the call early, but uh, we really do recommend the Bill Russell Larger Than Life podcast, or documentary rather, not podcast, the documentary that uh, he produced a few years ago. Uh, and encourage anyone who wants to learn more about Bill Russell to go check that out. So that's your homework. Uh, Sopan, again, he jumped off early. He said, this was such a professional podcast. He was really impressed with my Marcus Smart impression. And he says, thanks for being on. Uh, and <laughs> And so because he was so kind to, I mean, I'm so humble about my Marcus Smart impression, but uh, he did recently write a book. It's called Mistranslations, Meeting the Immigrant Parents Who Raised Me. Be sure to check it out. Uh, as you can tell, Sopan's a great dude, a thoughtful dude, and I'm sure he writes as such. I have yet to pick up a copy, but uh, I will, in fact. Uh, I'm not just blowing smoke up his ass. I'm going to go buy the book. So uh, on the behalf of... Alex, on the behalf of Justin, good luck to the Celtics tonight. By the time you hear this, they will have won or they will have lost. Who cares? And we'll come up with something to talk about next week. So, go C's, baby. Go C's. Like and subscribe. Go buy our t-shirts. 